It's another exciting edition of the TEH podcast, episode 89. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig from macmost.com. So I want to start um, this week's show with a little bit of a, a public service announcement, a PSA. Uh, due to the uh, coronavirus, we are experiencing here uh, in the Seattle area, uh, the I heard the term epicenter, which turns out to be the wrong term, but we're at least a, a, a very important point of interest when it comes to the coronavirus. Anyway, we're suffering from a shortage of blood donations. And the reason is not necessarily what you might think. Uh, people aren't necessarily afraid to donate. Uh, you know, you can't get you can't get it from a donation, uh, that kind of thing. But uh, what happens is a lot of the blood donations, at least out in this area, are uh, due to corporate uh, blood drives. So basically, they've the, our blood center has a couple of buses that they will then drive to the various locations, uh, businesses, and so forth. And in fact, I think that's how I got started with these guys. Years ago, they drove the bus to Microsoft, and I donated blood. Well, it turns out that a lot of these companies, in fact, right now, I'd even say most of these companies, are asking all of their employees or as many as possible to work from home which means that the blood drives at these various locations ain't happening. There's nobody showing up. The good news is that traffic around here is awesome. The bad news is that the, uh, uh, the, uh, the blood center is essentially uh, in trouble. They, there was a news report actually last night. They used the word collapse uh, in with respect to the blood supply out here, which I thought was an interesting choice of terms. Anyway, I had already scheduled a donation. So that's where I was earlier today. I was donating platelets for a couple of hours. Um, and the good news is that the actual uh, facility, the, you know, their main, their headquarters, at least here in the, uh, the Bellevue area was hopping. Lots of people getting stuff drawn. But um, I just wanted to put in a plug for folks who, of course, um, are healthy to uh, maybe consider donating blood or even donating platelets. Uh, it certainly is, you know, like I said, we're the hot zone right now. The, the, this is the, uh, the blood center that um, essentially serves the area that where uh, we had the first deaths in the United States due to the coronavirus. So, of course, everything is happening here first, and that apparently would include the shortage in the blood supply. And as the coronavirus traverses the nation, uh, I would expect similar things to happen in other areas as well. So if you have it in you, uh, just sort of maybe consider donating some blood and uh, helping when all the blood drives in your area get canceled because nobody's going to work. I just saw a similar uh, notice go out this morning for Denver. Same same reason as my wife and I talked about that we need to go out some point this week mm -hmm. uh, and and donate. I noticed, in fact, I was browsing the news while while I was donating blood. Uh, browsing the news, I noticed that Colorado's governor declared a state of emergency. State of emergency. Guys. Yep. So, yes, yeah, so it is, it is traversing the nation, and it is something that is uh, going to impact. Now, um, I, I mentioned this because it actually segues, one of the reasons is it actually segues into uh, what I was thinking about this afternoon as my, my main topic. 
for today's show. And that is just the general concept of connectivity. I was at the blood center. They have Wi-Fi for the donors to keep us entertained while we're sitting there with a needle in our arm. And I was, what was I doing? I was listening to podcasts. I was reading my email. Uh, Last time I was there, I think I ended up watching a show on Hulu. You know, basically the kinds of things you can do when you can assume a base level of connectivity, which was actually pretty cool. It just, it's one of those things that I find uh, fascinating and, and kind of wonderful about the world we live in right now is that that connectivity is something that a lot of people can assume. Um, and especially right now, uh, like I said, we're in kind of a tech center here. This is the Seattle area. So there's a fair amount of connectivity to go around for all of these tech people who now have been instructed to work from home. And even schools are attempting to do this. I think I would claim, I mean, I'm not tightly tied into the school system, but my expectation is that to the extent that they've done uh, remote access schoolwork, uh, this is certainly the most that they've ever had to do at the same time. Classes are actually being held. Um, (laughs) I heard someone describe it as a Zoom room. I mean, they're just using Zoom uh, where, you know, there's the teacher and, and all of the students are showing up in the room and, uh, and attending class for a while. It's not all day long, but they are definitely spending time in class. Uh, regular listeners will know that we actually record this podcast using Zoom. It's different. We're not doing the video. We're just using the audio and the online recording. But um, it is a very popular, um, and as it turns out, um, very, uh, right now, a darling on the stock market to the extent that, that anybody is a darling on the stock market. Zoom is doing fairly well. Um, so it's really awesome. This, all this ubiquitous connectivity out here is really, really awesome for everybody that now has to work from home um, or study from home. But there is, of course, actually there are several buts. Um, like I said, we are a tech center. We have lots of connectivity to go around for the most part. And I know that Denver is very similar. Uh, that's not the tr- not necessarily the case everywhere. And I've heard several reports now of concern being expressed for schools and businesses that would like to work from home, but can't because they're in rural areas where there just is no, 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 internet connectivity that actually would support the kind of, even just the kind of thing we're doing here. Um, And that's a little bit scary. The other is that, and this remains to be seen, I think it'll be very interesting to see in a couple of weeks, when uh, all of this is said and done, which technologies survived? In other words, which ones actually got the job done? Uh, I was kind of curious because I'm sure that Zoom is being used very heavily right now. Uh, with all of these people working from home and school. And uh, are we going to find that they're up to the task of handling all of these simultaneous classes and conversations going on at the same time? There are several competitors, um, you know, go to meeting, go to webinars, one of them, uh, WebEx was another one I was looking at earlier today. Uh, And this actually ties into something I did last week. I held my first um, Ask Leo live webinar using technology, uh, none of the above. I'm not going to mention it just yet, and you'll see why in a minute. Uh, And uh, it, the, the, 
from a mechanics point of view, it was a big test for me to just to see how well a, an online live webinar would work for me. And from a mechanical point of view, it worked out fine. Um, we covered a lot of stuff in about an hour. I didn't, you know, get tired of talking at people. And there were some really, really good questions being asked by the folks who were able to attend. The problem was the quality of the video. Uh, the video quality, basically, especially for trying to read a screen online, was just not up to the task. And that turned out to be true for the recording. Now, I'm not mentioning them because they are actually beta-ing or they've invited me to a beta program of their next rev of the software, which promises better quality. So I'm going to reserve my, my more public judgment on them until I've had an opportunity to play with that some. But I think that that highlights some of the issues that some of these companies, uh, even the more established ones like uh, WebEx, which is owned by Cisco, uh, GoToWebinar, which I think is owned by LogMeIn these days, um, and even Zoom, who is a, I think they're an still an independent company right now. They have some challenges coming up and, you know, they need to be able to ramp up to handle the uh, uh, the, the, the influx of uh, all of a sudden all these people deciding that, hey, you know, this work from home thing, we should give that a try. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how some of these schools actually do it. I mean, a lot of them have other ways to, to do it. Like um, they don't have to necessarily have the class online, but they could distribute work assignments you know, read this or right. read this from your book, you know, do this. There's quizzes online. There are things like that. I know things um, like that are just already in place for when students are sick, you know, just regularly through the school year and they can't make class. They can see exactly what the assignments are and all of that. So some teachers I know can switch to simply a full, like my assignment is online. You know, the thing to read, the thing to do, the report to hand in, and right. all of that. Just do it in your own time. And they don't need to necessarily have fast bandwidth for that. Uh, right. You know, yeah, so what I've heard is Google Drive apparently is something, or Google actually has yes. some tools for schools. But Yeah, oh yeah. Um, it's all uh, Google. Yeah, yeah they, so they make a lot of this stuff available. But I think what's different right now is that a lot of teachers who are, um, a lot of instructors, and this this spans everything from, you know, grade school all the way up to the University of Washington out here. They're doing this, you know, remote class thing as well, mm, yeah. where, um, you know, they're trying to do some of those things, quote unquote, live. And that, I think, is a big, a big new thing for everybody, at least certainly at this scale. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. And, and I still don't know, with our, I guess you've had a state of emergency for a while now. Yes, uh, Washington, and now it's new for us, and still not quite sure. Besides special powers for the governor, like how things are going to change. I actually have a concert to go to uh, on Friday night, and at a five thousand person arena, <laughs> or the, actually, it's a five thousand person theater. So right. I'm trying to figure out. And it's all nice and academic to sit back and say, "Oh yes, no large crowds, don't gather," you know, and all that and just oh i don't need to do that i could stay home i work from home anyway but suddenly i do have this thing which i have tickets for my wife and i have tickets for and we're and we're going to be faced with a choice and you know it seems like sometimes i think about it and i'm thinking oh this this is silly we're going to go and not there's not going to be a single empty seat and you know it's going to seem silly that we ever thought about not going and other times i think no wait we should why should we be going to this we shouldn't it's a state of emergency we should be staying home i i'm not quite sure what 
to do? Like, I'm hoping that maybe they cancel it. Uh, yeah, my, what's happening out here, um, and I do think that Washington uh, serves as a leading edge example of what kinds of things could be going, you know, could be coming down the pike for you and for the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, events are being canceled right and left. Uh, they just are. Uh, there was a training exercise for the the nonprofit that I work with that was going to happen last Saturday. We ended up canceling that, and that was you know even outdoors ish um, with you know maybe a dozen sixteen people, but it was still deemed um, you know risky enough and and the potential for for um, you know if somebody did get sick because of it that would be a bad thing. Uh, but yeah, concerts um, uh, venues are closing. Uh, uh, like I said, the schools and work thing is happening. So I don't know. It's interesting because, of course, you know, for example, I thought about this uh, donating when I was donating blood. You're going to a place where there's a bunch of other people in close proximity. Whoops. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like, yeah. um, and I was talking to the, uh, to the phlebotomist who was checking me in. And she, you know, I said, you guys are at the highest risk of all because you're seeing this constant mm. stream of people who, uh, you know, certainly they're not going to be symptomatic because the kinds of people who do this are going to be kind of aware of that. And they'll know that if they're symptomatic, uh, not to go donate blood. But there's this incubation period during which they may be um, contagious, but not symptomatic. And yeah. Yeah, I went to the dentist uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's like the worst because it's like, okay, they say don't touch your face. Right. Uh, well, and in here, this case, you reach touching, into your mouth. <laughs> they're touching not only somebody else's face, they're reaching into somebody else's mouth. I mean, that's like, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, there's gloves and there's masks. And the funny thing is, is that I never noticed that at some point dentists started wearing face masks. Um, I thought about it this time. And then when I got, I was like, I wonder if they're going to be wearing face masks. And when they, when she started doing work and she was, I kind of realized, you know, the memory comes back and it's like, wait, she's always put on a face mask. Right. So, uh, but I just never even noticed until now. So that was interesting. Um, I also thought, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think I mentioned last week, I also visited the dentist, yeah. but his comment was, because we were chatting about this, of course, and his comment was that they pretty much end up treating everybody as if they're contagious with something horrible anyway. They just <laughs> sort of, the they just sort of have to, right? So preparing for coronavirus for them is a non-issue because it's basically how they operate every day. Right. And, you know, thinking of this concert too, I, you know, I was thinking of the, the big difference between going to some sort of business event like South by Southwest, for instance, uh, or a concert. When you go to a business type event, a conference, you know, an expo, what, all you're doing is shaking hands all day. You're meeting people and shaking hands. It's, you know, you can almost say South by Southwest is a get up in the morning and, you know, shake a hundred hands before you go to bed at night. And, you know, that's just what it is. I mean, you're there to meet people and network and socialize and all this. When you go to a concert, you could easily go to the entire event and never actually touch another person. Right. Um, You know, it's so, and probably that's actually what will happen. You know, you hand your ticket to somebody, you don't touch them or actually you don't even do that anymore. You just wave your phone with the right. code on it. <laughs> and you, you know, it's, so it's a little different, but you're still in pretty close proximity. I actually did my first handshake refusal this morning. I, <laughs> I was at a coffee thing and, uh, somebody, uh, somebody knew was, uh, 
at this meeting thing and they shook somebody's hand. They came over to me with their hand thrust out right to me. And I was just determined to get the first one out of the way. I was like, this is going to happen. Right. And I need to get the first one out of the way. I've never refused a handshake in my life. And I just said, oh, actually, I'm doing the social distance thing. And like a light bulb went over, you know, the guy's head. It was like, right. oh, oh, I forgot. Oh, yeah, we shouldn't be shaking hands. What am I yep. doing? Good for you. You know, but I was like, good. I got my first one out of the way. The second <laughs> one's going to be easier and, you know, it soon will become like. What, what cracked me up is problem. I had my, uh, my every two-year physical also last week, as it turned out, and I was chatting with the doctor again about everything going on. And, of course, as we're finishing up, she reaches over and, yep, we shook hands. And uh-huh. it's like, <laughs> whoops, I guess, but she's a doctor. She shouldn't know. And yeah, I, I, it's so built <laughs> in. It's so... I, I just want to get used to uh, the, the Spock hand sign. I think that's the way to go. I think so. I, I, was, I, I, I was talking to somebody about that. And, he, of course, the interesting thing is it's, a, it's originally a religious symbol, right? It's, yes. Nimoy did an, a wonderful talk about the origination yeah. of that somewhere. And I had, I, I believe in that talk, he, he, he says how he, when he was a little kid, you know, he saw people doing it um, during the religious ceremony at the point where you're supposed to do that. And you're not supposed to look. Right. So it's, you know, growing up, you know, I'm Jewish and I had the same experience he did. Uh, whereas, you know, oh, you know, you're not supposed to look at this part of the thing. But and of course, anyway, yeah, of right. course, I'm like, I'm like a, a seven year old boy. I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm not supposed <laughs> to look over there, you know, what's going on. And I saw the same thing, you know, that Leonard Nimoy did. And I thought, oh, okay. And so there, you know, there's the first thing is like, okay, doing that, that, is that going to be somehow offensive to a very, very small subgroup of a, you know, of a, a religion? And maybe, maybe not. I don't know the answer to that. But the other thing I learned was that not everybody can do it. Yes. So that's the problem. So, you know, you end up learning what it is and then you go to school and every, just like with kids, like with rolling your tongue or doing all these other things, it's like, can you do it? Can you do it? And it's like, you know, you find out some people can't, some people can't. So it would be a shame to go and say, Let, that's the new handshake and then have a bunch of people that are struggling every time they have to do it. Um, the, uh, as I understand it, it's not necessarily like the tongue rolling thing. I think everybody yeah. can do it. It's just that they can't do it easily. It takes practice for like a lot raising of an eyebrow. Take, yeah, everybody yeah. can do it, but some yeah, people just, really need, need to, to work at it. Work so, at it. So anyway. Yep. So yeah, I did. Um, I'll include a link to the. Uh, well, I actually have a recording of the webinar that we did, um, so that you can see what kind of uh, what kind of video quality. Cool. Audio was fine. It was all about video quality this time, and um, hopefully, hopefully, all of these different services that are getting used for our uh, work from home, study from home uh, services are are up to the task. This is not something we would have been able to do just ten or twenty years ago, which That's I think right. is is also really, really fascinating to me. Um, work from home would have looked quite, quite different back then. Uh-huh. So, so speaking of communicating, you've got an interesting time. Well, yeah, as, uh, you know, and our, I guess our show is no different than everything else in media right now. Everything revolves around one main topic. Um, the, uh, so the interesting thing is that, you know, with the COVID-19, the coronavirus as it's known, um, some people decided that they really wanted to talk to people in, at the epi, the real epicenter, right, the, right. in China, right. and find out what's really going on. You know, 
And to do that, some people turn, believe it or not, to to Tinder. <laughs> and for those that don't know, the Tinder is like a d- the dating app. And, uh, you know, it's got features for, you know, finding somebody locally. But apparently, you can have a premium account. One of the things that the premium account has is you could set your location to somewhere else. Now, I know that, uh, you know, it, it, it would not make sense normally, right, for a dating app to like find somebody in another location. Why do you so want let, to start off with a long distance relationship? Can, can I, uh, let yeah. me ask a, a clarifying question. My, yeah. my sense has been that Tinder is less about finding a long-term relationship yeah, that's true. as it is more about finding a short-term opportunity. Well, and that's even more of a, why would you want to find somebody out somewhere of your else. area? Exactly, but yeah. I, I suppose the idea would be that uh, you're going somewhere. You're going on a trip or yes. you're uh, returning home or whatever it is. So, so you have this thing where you could set your location as somewhere else. Um, so what people started to do was to not use it as a dating app, but to actually uh, just set their location to you know, um, China and ask, you know, match with people just to chat with them through the app to ask them, what's it really like there? Right. Um, which is fascinating use of the technology. And I think it also is under, underlies kind of a, like a, a, the neglect of a lot of news reports to actually get down to the questions people are really asking. I was taught when I was in like a journalism school, I mean, to think like the reader, right? You know, if there's, this is the story, if this is the topic, what's the, what do people really want to know? What would the question the reader be asking? Like, um, you know, if you're covering like a bank robbery, you know, what's the first thing somebody wants to know? It's like, where, what bank? Where was it? You know, that kind of thing. And answer these questions right up front. You know, give the answer the questions that the user will have. And all too often, it doesn't happen today, no matter what the, uh, the story is. Um, and I see, like, that's a good example, like crime things saying that, oh, uh, such such crime, there was a, you know, a shooting in East Denver. I'm like, well, East Denver, where? I want to know. I live in East Denver. Right. Tell me the intersection right at the beginning. That's really all I care about, you know. And, um, and so the same thing here. People were not, you know, reporters were not saying, well, what is it like? What's it actually like to be in a city in China where there's like the maximum amount of quarantining and restrictive measures taking place. So, uh, and people were getting answers. Not only were uh, people just doing it who were already on Tinder, but apparently I think uh, the article will link to mentions one uh, teacher who just went used Tinder that way to be able to get more like just normal people that wouldn't be expecting to be asked that like to be asked that it's like it's like calling like a random phone number right, right to, in a city to find out what's it actually like there in the city you know that this is going on and and there are some interesting things in the article about surprising answers you know basically what it came down to was that people are the same everywhere right and there were some people that were nervous and anxious and other people that were taking it all in stride and um, things like that, but there, there weren't any, you know, uh, some of the more far-fetched rumors of, pe- you know, uh, people actually being, f- uh, f- well, I shouldn't say people being forcibly locked into their apartment buildings because that actually is happening there, but it's not widespread. It's not like everybody, you know, right. oh, the thing they said is there's not a, like a, a soldier with a gun on every street corner making sure everybody stays home. You know, that that was something that people have said 
and you know they, they were able to confirm through Tinder. Oh no, that's not that's not how it actually is. It's you stay right. home because you're supposed to stay home, and probably if you try to go out, you're not supposed to. Some neighbor is going to snitch on you. Right. But it's not going to be a soldier in the at, at a street corner that's going to point a gun at you and tell you to get back inside. Um, things like that. And then the other uh, service is TikTok. And TikTok, of course, allows people to make. Uh, these you know short video clips of whatever's going on and do it in creative ways, and that people there, uh, particularly Americans there, uh, are uh, making TikTok videos to show what life is there every day. And there's one uh, that's linked to in the in this article, uh, uh, who is I guess just I'm not sure why they are there, but um, making deliveries to people to help out. Uh, uh, it shows them locked in their uh, apartment complex one day, <laughs> but still able to make uh, requests for food deliveries. Right. You know, it's all sorts of interesting things that you could learn. And I thought, wow, I think I learned more looking at these TikToks and reading about this information on Tinder about what's actually going on there than I have read in any other article actually produced by a journalist. Um, so, right. It's funny because I was the, the thing that surprises me the most is that I thought that things like TikTok and Tinder both uh, were uh, blocked oh, in China. They are. So th that means the people that are there are using random techniques to bypass those yes, blocks. Yes, there are ways. People will find ways. Right? This is true. This is true. Yeah, we'll find ways. So, so yes, these so probably be a lot more of that going on uh, if it wasn't blocked. But you know, we've seen st stuff like this in the past. I think um, during uh, uh, some of the uh, some of the uprisings uh, in the Middle East about ten years ago, yes. I think there was a lot of going on where information was coming out on Twitter at the time of just what people, everyday people were experiencing, not so right. much the big political story, but you know, what was actually taking place in the streets. I love this use of technology and I think it's great. And at the same time, I think journalists should pay attention when they see this happening uh, and look at themselves and say, I'm not answering people's questions. You know, there's that. And my, my question for the journalists is why aren't you reaching out? Well, yeah, on, they should be on these, to, on these things to get that information and answer those questions to. Right. So, you know, yeah, I, I see it, you know, our local Reddit um, group for uh, Denver uh, does have uh, some lurking journalists from our local places because mm -hmm. every once in a while, somebody will mention something that's newsworthy and there'll be a comment saying, I work for such and such news. Please get in touch with me. You know, cool. and so that's kind of cool to see that that's going on. Right. Um, we just may need some more of it. Uh, and I'd love to see it uh, more of it, you know, going on with this kind of thing, especially it's a war. You know, this is like a story where it's happening all over the world. And, you know, the virus itself isn't changing. It's right. the same virus. Like, you know, there's 15 people now diagnosed in Denver with it. It's the same virus that the people in China have, right? And it's going to have the same effects on people and there's going to be some of the same mistakes made and all this. And so it's a shared news story in a lot of ways. But um, so I think this is even more of like, people want to know what's going on there because it's going to be happening here. 
The other thing is, I think it would be real interesting to reach to the people in Italy, because yes. Italy has basically gone into lockdown as a country as well. Yeah. And I don't know what that means for them. They're in a, again, China is, the government is going to react one way, and Italy's government is going to react their way, which of course will probably be different, different than however the United States is reacting. And it's just interesting to get these perspectives, not only of what's happening on the ground for real in those different places, but also to try and learn from them and say, hey, you know what? This is what worked. This over here, that was completely unnecessary. You know, those kinds of things. If we can learn more about what's going on in real time, um, however we get the data, uh, that would be very cool. Yeah, and I did actually see on the news a reporter uh, on a cable news network um, reporting from in Italy and just talking about exactly that. Like, what's Good. it like to walk around? What are these p forms that, you know, there's a form you fill out. You want to travel somewhere? You, I guess you state your reason for traveling on a form mm -hmm. and then you print it, you know, you print it out or whatever and you, you walk around and the first person that, the first official person that stops you asking, what are you doing out? What you hand them the form, which is a good way to do it instead of having to explain every time um, or whatever, you have this form and it's filled out. You know, to be fair for the people in Europe, uh, show us your papers is not yes. something that they necessarily are all they always comfortable with. Yes. It makes total sense. I get it. But the other part is that um, I was actually chatting with my cousin in the Netherlands here actually just a little while ago. And uh, they too now have a double digit uh, uh, coronavirus uh, infections in the Netherlands. And they are actually able to trace them back to people who had been traveling to Italy. That's the problem with it. The problem, the issue with Italy is that it, it is a big tourist destination for, well, for everywhere, uh, but especially for the European countries that are already close by. So that's how it's spreading there. And I can see why Italy needed to, uh, to kind of lock things down as quickly as they could. Yep. Indeed. So, oh, and for all the journalists out there, you now have a legitimate excuse to install Tinder. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Just make sure you use research. it for just for, it's a research tool. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, let's see. Um, so in our off topic, but cool segment, uh, what, like I said, one of the things that I did while I was at the, uh, at the blood center today was listen to some podcasts and it dawned on me that there's a podcast that I've been listening to fairly regularly. That is just random and interesting. It's called Stuff You Should Know. Um, it's uh, uh, from, it's an, it's an, I think it's NPR. Uh, it's at least iHeartRadio. Uh, that basically they cover all sorts of random but really interesting topics. Um, I've often thought of myself as kind of a, a renaissance man in the sense that I have a lot of different interests. I play with a lot of different things. I know a little bit about a lot of things. Uh, you know, the old jack of all trades, master of none kind of a scenario. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the podcast for someone who's like that. Uh, today's episode was talking about coyotes and um, where they came from, how they behaved, why they, while, uh, why uh, they howl, um, how their howling impacts their birth rate. Um, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Uh, there have been other episodes about all sorts of random things. The one from last week that I actually haven't listened to is entitled How Gold Works. My assumption is it's an economic slash currency topic. Um, anyway, it's just, it's fun to listen to. They've been doing it for quite some time. And that is what I would suggest. Uh, people who have random interests about random things, 
hook up with. The episodes are usually about an hour long. Uh, that seems to be the, uh, um, uh, they, they, like us, don't stick to a specific time frame. Uh, so you know that it's not getting broadcast anywhere on the air because that's when you really do need a specific time frame or length. But um, they're usually about an hour. They also have some shorts that they throw out as well. So interesting stuff, stuff you should know. There'll be a link to their Facebook page of all things in um, in our show notes. Uh, this Facebook page has then the links to you know, the uh, iTunes store and wherever else you might find it. Cool. Uh, I discovered something interesting this week or, you know, uh, I kind of discovered it, I guess. Plenty of people, I'm sure, know about this already. But I charged my MacBook Pro overnight with my iPhone charger. <laughs> um, it's something that I've always thought theoretically it should work, but I've never actually tried it. Um, my MacBook is starting to get old, and the batteries. I think partially the battery's starting to get old. Partially I'm starting to use it more in the evening. So my usual mode for using it is to take it out of my office, off the charger uh, at dinner time. And then I use it all evening around the house, various things. Uh, and then I use it in the morning. And then I return to my office and plug it in. But recently, it hasn't been quite making it through that entire round. <laughs> uh, it, uh, you know, don't have quite enough juice to last that. So I thought, well, boy, the thing I used to do back in the days when laptop batteries were like two hours was good. Remember that? Remember yeah. that? Like, is I used to, the first thing I would do is get like a new a laptop and I'd get a second charger for it, right? And one would be on my desk and one would be on my nightstand. So that way you know, I could charge it in two different places. And um, so I thought, ah, oh, I guess I'm going to have to do that. Uh, you know, either that or maybe a new battery or something. But then it occurred to me, well, you know, the latest iPhones came with USB-C chargers, but I think they're 18 watts and, you know, way too low for actually using. And, it, and indeed, if you plug the MacBook Pro in, it will say that, you know, not charging. In other words, it's not, you're not running off of power and charging the battery and doing everything you should do. But if you put it to sleep and close the lid, there should theoretically be a trickle of power going into it uh, through that 18 watt underpowered charger for it. So I thought, eh, this may work, may not. I don't know, but I'm going to, I have that it, you know, on my nightstand, let me just plug a USB-C cable into it since I can plug it into the MacBook Pro. And I noted it was at that particular time is like a 53% charge. And I thought, well, let me see, maybe it'll just give me enough of a boost to get through. And lo and behold, in the morning, it was 100%. Wow. I don't know how slowly it charged, whether it just got to 100% before I, you know, woke up or whether it did it faster than that, but I was like, that's good enough. That's all I need. Yeah. You don't um, have to be fast overnight. That's for sure. No, yeah, exactly. And of course, it, you know, the, the thought of, you know, having a backup, we all have that fear of traveling with our laptop and realizing we left the charger at home and now we've got, <laughs> you know, six hours of, you know, to last us a week. Um, but, you know, having that iPhone charger with me, uh, would then allow me at least to charge overnight. Um, so anyway, I was surprised that I was su surprised it works so well uh, right out of the box. And I'm sure there's plenty of other people who be like, yeah, I do that all the time. But for me, it was it was quite a and I think it's 60 watts is the regular charger. There are some MacBooks like the the MacBook, not the Pro, the, the Apple stopped making that actually I think comes with a 30 watt charger. 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, and then I think the newer MacBook Pros come with a 96 watt charger, um, the 16 inch ones, because yeah. they draw a lot of power. They have a real GPU and everything in it. I know that my Dell wants like a 95 watt yeah. power supply, or it's going to complain. It'll say, you know, like you said, yeah, your your power supply that you've got connected isn't really up to the task. I'm going to keep running, but you've been warned. Yeah, exactly. So, so that there's that. Um, and I thought interesting, worth sharing. It's funny because you're in the same place with that MacBook that I'm with my with my phone. Um, I have a Google Pixel XL, uh, which is three years old, which. I believe, based on my experience, is about the expected lifespan for a battery, usable lifespan. I'll call it usable lifespan, where, uh, you know, three years ago, it would easily, easily last a day, day and a half um, on the battery. And now it's like um, I have strategically placed chargers throughout the house and my vehicle uh, so that every opportunity I can, you know, plug it in and let it suck up some juice so that it can make it to the next few hours of the day. And actually, I've got a second thing I want to mention. You're good. That, that's kind of neat. Um, so, uh, you know, we're supposed to wash our hands all the time now, just constantly be washing our hands mm-hmm. um, and uh, not touch our face, do all that stuff. And so I've been not only, you know, doing everything, but I've been trying really hard to notice, like, what do I actually touch when I go out, you know? <laughs> um, and so I go to my normal lunch places. Please don't turn this into a Tinder thing. No. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so going my normal, like walks through town, going to lunch and all of that. And it's pretty, you don't touch much. I mean, even taking like a drink at like a place you go get lunch, usually you pull the cup off of a stack of cups and the cup you're pulling was actually just underneath another cup. Right. And it came from the factory like that. And then you, you don't even have to touch the drink dispenser to get a drink. I mean, it's pretty Pretty good. You can go through, do a lot without touching anything, except when you pay and they ask you to sign the receipts. <laughs> and then you're, you have to grab this pen that every single other person who has gone and gotten lunch before you has touched. Matter of fact, it's, it's a, been there for days. It's a Petri dish we, that looks like a pen. Yes. It, and people have grabbed <laughs> it with their sweaty hands, held onto it tightly, right? As they've signed their name on this thing. Sometimes it's a, you think, oh, there's a screen and I can kind of get away with just barely touching the screen to say, oh, I want the, you know, this percent tip or whatever. And then it asks you to sign the screen. Right. Got it touch smear the finger that you use the most for everything on this screen sometimes there's there's actually a stylus for that too that you have to grab well i found a solution i th- thought hey wait a minute i got a solution for all of this um i seem to remember getting every once in a while as a giveaway a little tiny stylus slash pen that is like half size i don't know where you would get these normally but these are like giveaways at conferences and stuff and it's got at one end a stylus end, so you're holding the pen and you can use it as a regular touchscreen stylus. But if you twist it, a ballpoint pen comes through the tip. And it's about half the size. Matter of fact, almost exactly the length of my wallet. So it fits in my pocket without even, even knowing it's there. And it's mine, it's only mine. And I can, I'm the only one who touches it. And I can pull it out to either sign on a screen or touch like for the tip amount or whatever, right. or sign a receipt and never have to touch either a screen or a pen while I'm out. 
Well, what the real solution is, and <clears throat> I'm, I know you do this as much as you can, um, you know, Apple Pay and Google Pay. Well, yeah, basically, but, you know, wave your phone in front of yeah. something and you're done. Even but, doing that, sometimes you have to touch the screen for the tip amount, and uh, sometimes you have to sign. Um, so you're not can supposed to. You, can you? You're not supposed to have to sign anymore. Yeah. Um, can you use the corner of your phone to touch the tip amount? That's a good question. I'll have to try that next try time. That but next I don't time. have to worry about it because I've got this. You've got your stylus thing. now, yep. <laughs> I actually have like two of them. One is from some conference and another, I it says Virgin America on it. So I assume I got it somehow the one time I flew oh, right. a Virgin America airplane, which of course doesn't exist anymore. I don't know how you'd get these on your own. I haven't even looked on Amazon to see. Oh, I'm sure they're there. I think I think we have one or something very similar yeah. to that. It's got a pen on one end and it's got the uh, the soft rubbery type uh, stylus at the other end. It's meant for a, okay, so, yeah. a touch screen that doesn't really want the, the sharp pointy stylus. Right. So it's either, well, this is what I've got too. It's just that the ballpoint will come through the middle right. of that if I yes. twist it. Yeah. So, so kind of neat and might be something to think about. It seems like kind of a waste for all this hand washing and stuff. I'm simply going to grab some grubby pen somewhere. And then the <laughs> next thing I'm going to do after grabbing the pen is grab a sandwich with it that with same hand and then eat the sandwich. You know, it's like, God, this is the worst possible time to be touching something. It's right before I eat. Oh, Lord. Um, so actually, that reminds me of a couple things. One is, uh, now that we're all paying attention to it, mm-hmm. I had no idea that I touched my face as often oh, yeah. as I do. Oh, yeah. No, That's I, same crazy. It is. Um, Weird Al, Weird Al Yankovic put a little, like, 20-second yeah. uh, YouTube video parodying that. Uh, we should try and find that and throw that in the links if we can. But uh, the other thing that we got actually prior to the COVID-19 stuff, uh, I was reading an article about how filthy our phones really are, right? I mm-hmm. mean, there's like some horrible statistics about how many, you know, how much E. coli is, is, you know, how often E. coli is found on phone surfaces all the time. And I was thinking to myself, eh, yeah, I suppose I keep my phone clean. I, I you know, I Don't drop, well, I dropped it into the toilet once, but I ended up replacing the phone as a result. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, I stumbled across a um, a phone cleaner. Um, I forget exactly what it's called. Uh, It might be phone soap. Uh, It looks like an oversized bar of soap, but what it really is is a clamshell where you put your phone inside and it's good for the big big sized phones as well as the the normal sized ones. Um, And it then uh, radiates them with um, a UV light for 10 minutes. And that supposedly kills all the bugs uh, on the phone. So, and, and they have it, a channel in there so you can actually plug in a charging cable at the same time. So the idea is, you plug your phone into charge, you put it in the, in the little charger or in the little cleaner, um, and you walk away, right? So it, right. it cleans it for 10 minutes, and then whenever you come back, it's all charged up again as well. So we've been, uh, we've been doing that a little bit more often now that that's sitting in, uh, uh, sitting in our kitchen. Yeah, and Apple uh, yesterday uh, made a little announcement that it is okay to use Clorox disinfecting wipes with 70% isopropyl alcohol to if you clean can your find iPhone. Any. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I know. My wife gave me the greatest gift of all this morning, two little boxes of Purell. <laughs> wow. I, I know. I don't found know. Those. I don't know where she found in, them and I'm afraid in to the ask. Seattle area. <laughs> exactly. Whew, black market. She, some, yeah. 
I know. And to be, you know, to be honest, it's one of those things where, I mean, I was talking about being skeptical last week with respect to COVID-19, but the the number of people that are trying to, uh, you know, play the market to, to basically uh, take advantage of the shortages by charging exorbitant amounts mm. of money for things. It's just, it's frightening, you know, places like Amazon and eBay and whatever, they simply can't keep up uh, with trying to knock these people down. So, but yes, apparently she got it at, uh, at a retail store for a normal price. So I was, I was, wow. very, I was really impressed, very surprised. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. So some, since I was thinking about this, uh, this blatant self-promotion segment, honestly, TEH is brought to you by the people you're listening to right now. So this is kind of our opportunity to say, hey, if you like what you're listening to here, you should go read some of our stuff too. I actually have a page uh, that I put together some time ago. I update it occasionally depending on how things are changing in the industry. Uh, that is a collection of uh, my what I consider to be my most important articles. Uh, it actually does have a list. If there's only one article you read, read this one. If there's three articles you can read, read these three. If there are other areas that you're interested in, here's the, you know, here's the most important articles for those topics. And uh, so it's askleo.com slash best articles collection. If you just go to askleo.com and search for best articles, it's actually linked to from the menu on the top of every page. It's that important a page. Uh, but that would be something that if you've not spent any time on Ask Leo, or if you're just, you know, if you've only been staying current with what I've been publishing lately, um, that's actually a really good resource for a wide variety of things that cover a lot of topics that I've talked about in the, oh, gosh, how long has it been? 16 years that I've been doing mm. this now. So, wow. How about you, Gary? Oh, so what I, uh, I've actually done a little change to one of my sites this week. So I thought I'd mention it. Um, it's uh, my site. It's at one of my few remaining game sites called just jigsawpuzzles.com. And it's basically a HTML5 site. So it works with any browser you so don't it's need. It's going to keep working because last, we yeah. t- last week we were talking about Flash. Right. So, this yeah. site will keep working. Excellent. This, actually, my Jigsaw Puzzle game originally was Shockwave, eventually became Flash. And years and years ago, I converted it to HTML5, seeing the writing on the wall that early. Um, and it, uh, so the site's still fully operational. There are thousands of uh, different Jigsaw Puzzles you could, you could play, lots of uh, artwork like you know famous artwork and stuff and scenery and landscapes and all sorts of photos and stuff you could do a search you can do all sorts of cool things so i um about a year ago i created a patreon account uh, for that so people who wanted to support the site um could you know uh contribute a certain amount per month and a change i made this week was i decided to implement the api uh, Patreon's API, so you could log in or at least uh, you know get recognition at the site that you are a Patreon contributor, and if you are, it gets rid of the ads for you. So, so that uh, means that people have to be they have to be logged into Patreon, basically. Right. Uh, all you need. You. Yeah. They well, there's a login with Patreon button uh, on the site if you're already. Um, if you're already logged into Patreon, which you may be, right. you click that and it says, oh, justjigsawpuzzles.com wants permission to 
you know. Oh, right, right. You, have, you, have, you know, look at your data and then you say, okay, and then that's it. And then I set a cookie and, uh, you know, you're, you have no ads. If you weren't logged in, it asks you to log in, just one extra step. Right. Um, so the nice thing is that then the, ad, the ads not only go away, but the game expands to fill the space that the ad nice. previously took. So it's both, uh, ple it's pleasant for two reasons. One, that you don't see the ads. The other, that you actually have more space to work your jigsaw puzzle uh, in your web browser. Very cool. So I did that. I, and if it works out, uh, I may expand that to the the remainder of sites. My goal, I think, might be to have um, no websites remaining that have ads that have to have ads. MacMost now doesn't have any ads thanks to Patreon. Mm -hmm. But um, basically, the people that are Patreon supporters of MacMost are contributing, so everybody doesn't see ads. Right. But for these game sites, I love to have it where there are ads, but you have the option to remove them from all. I'll probably have it under one umbrella. Like you won't have to be a Patreon contributor to just Jigsaw Puzzles and just Solitaire. It will be like one Patreon. And now you can use that to not see ads on any of my sites. Sure. So that we'll makes see. a lot of sense. It's yeah. funny because I've been doing something similar with Ask Leo for some time where um, you know, I've, I've got something like 700 and some odd patrons and they all have accounts on askleo.com. And absolutely, if they're logged in when they're browsing the, the site, uh, there are no ads. There just aren't. Right. And uh, I think that's one of the, I mean, I really want to want to express my gratitude towards these people that are actually giving me money every month. Yeah. Um, and uh, I you know sometimes I, I struggle with ways to really, provide, you know, make sure I'm providing value that, that, that I feel comfortable with, that I feel, that I feel good taking their money, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and one of the simplest ways to do that is, uh, you know, just if you're, if you're logged in with your patron account, I'm, I'm not using Patreon for that. I'm using my own account system. Uh -huh. But if you're logged in with your account, you don't see any ads. And yeah, it's, it's a cleaner experience. Absolutely. There's, there's no, no arguing about it. If you don't, if you can't, whatever, that's fine too. Uh, you know, your, your visit to the site, uh, just with the ads enabled, um, is mm -hmm. also another way of, of paying the bills. So, exactly. so it works well. Cool. I think we finally did it. It finally did something shorter than an hour. Yeah. Under an hour. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm All impressed. right. Good for us. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh89. A quick thank you once again to Connie. I haven't mentioned her every week. I just you know mentioned her when we started this out as part of streamlining this process to make it um, easier and more fun for Gary and myself to actually do this podcast. Connie's the one who's been doing the heavy lifting in the background. Uh, I don't know if technically that means she's the producer, but she's definitely the person editing the audio and pushing the bits and setting up the web page and so forth. And just wanted to do a quick thank you to Connie. You can also find us out on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH podcast. Uh, just the TEH podcast. I keep wanting to throw .com in there. And of course that won't work. Um, and I was noticing we've got this occasion, a note for an occasional comment here. You know, when you tweet something nice about TEH, we screen cap it and then we post it on the TEH homepage. So be sure and, and tag us with the or at the TEH podcast so that we see it. But I was thinking about that when I read that. If you tweet something negative about us, what I will do is I will print it out 
I will crumple it up and I will take it over to the little bucket we reserve for what the corgis leave us out in the yard. So, yeah, so that will be appropriately dealt with. (laughs) Until Uh, next week, everyone. Thanks for listening. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.